Amen. Amen. Thank you. I think your band's excited too. Y'all sounded yes. really good today. All right. Well, good morning again. I'm thrilled, as I said, to be here. Uh, we are continuing in our series, uh, The Characteristics of a Disciple. That is the nature that we must have and that must grow within us. <clears throat> and last week we talked about renunciation. It was a little challenging uh, from the groups and the t- conversations I heard. It was a little challenging for some, but it, 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 it's scriptural. It's a, it's a Catholic emphasis, um, but it's good to be challenged a little bit at, with God's Word. So it, it, it sparked some good conversation. But we're going to talk about one of the fundamental, fundamental, fundamental characteristics of a disciple of those that are seeking Christ, those that are in Christ. Um, it, it is a foundational aspect of the condition of our heart if we are going to be justified, if we are going to be sanctified. We're talking about humility. The, our text for today comes out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Listen for the word of the Lord. To some who were confident in their own righteousness, they looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers are even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. So in Luke, oftentimes, and we saw it last week, Luke will, unlike John, where it's a little more abstract and you got to kind of search out the meeting, Luke will give you a summary statement. He did last week when uh, we talked about giving up everything. It was towards the end, verse 33. Unless you're willing to give up everything, you cannot follow me. This week, it's right out there in the beginning when he describes these people. Some of the people he's talking about says that they are reliant and confident in their own righteousness. And one translation says, and so they have contempt for other people. And then he goes on and explains it. It kind of flushes it out. And he does this through a story of, of two men. One, illustrated the ones that Jesus is talking to, those that have confidence in, his own, in their own righteousness. Now, this is, this is a bigger story than, than what we think. You, in Luke, we read the, prodigal, or the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, but this is a big one for what is to come. This is one of those stories the disciples are going to look back. Uh, Paul is going to look back, and he's going to explain, because really, this is a story about self-righteousness or works righteousness, which is a big theological term of how we understand who we are as Christians and our salvation in Christ. 
It's works righteousness versus the righteousness that comes through faith by grace through Christ. I mean, that's going to be one of the foundations of the great reformers, of the Reformation, right? That it is faith alone, not the law. And Paul writes about the law extensively in Romans. He writes extensively in Galatians. It is not the law. It is not works. It is nothing that we do that we are justified before God, that we are saved. It is all grace. And so this is a, a story that is going to set up for the foundations of who we are. It is the foundation of our salvation, of our justification, of our sanctification. That we are justified, called righteous, even though we're not. By the grace of God through Christ. And how we receive that is through faith. Faith alone. So Jesus is telling this story and using two individuals. He uses a tax collector, which is often viewed, many of you know, often viewed as a thief, a crook, and a religious person that is held high in high esteem in the society and the culture, looked to as, you know, somebody to look up to. And so he twists this. He twists it, and let's just say, let's uh, not call him a Pharisee so that we can adapt it to our day, a religious person. Luke talks about that a lot, right? The Good Samaritan talks about three religious people. Jesus and Luke is talking to the religious people. And since we're listening online or in church, that's us. That's us. So we need to pay attention. And so he, he makes this distinction between the religious person and the crook, the tax collector. The Pharisee goes up and he's confident in his own righteousness, in his position, in all that he accomplished in the world. It is all about him. If you took time to count, there are five eyes that he says. Right? I am thankful about how good I am and that I am not like this. I, I, I. Right? And so there's all kinds of I. It is about him. He speaks solely about himself. And it's about his righteousness and all the righteous works that he does. And because of that, I know you probably don't remember way back to uh, the woman caught in adultery on John, but because of that kind of self righteousness, it breeds contempt for other people. Because when we're using our self-righteousness, how we judge that is comparing ourselves to other people. So if we're doing self-righteousness, if it's by works, if it's by laws, but it's by what we do, then we begin to compare ourselves to other folks. And so it breeds judgment. It breeds contempt. So that's the religious person. But the tax collector... All we know is he's a tax collector, which what we know of those are he was probably crooked and cheated people and sold out to the Romans, his, his loyalty, his allegiance, all for himself. That's the only thing. And we, he doesn't talk about it. That's what we can surmise 
what we know about tax collectors of that time. But he hit the list on his side of what the tax collector does. All he talks about is God. His focus is God and God's mercy. That's it. That's the only thing on his side of the ledger. Talking about God and God's mercy. And Jesus already told us what he's talking about. He's talking about those that deem themselves righteous because of their own merit, their own works, self-righteousness. And this scripture is about humility because the, the tax collector comes and he all he can say is, I am a sinner. God, have mercy on me. That's all he says. And yet Jesus at the end tells the religious people, this man, the sinner, went home justified. Why? Because it wasn't on his righteousness, but it was on the righteousness of God. He threw himself on the mercy and the grace and the love and the righteousness of God. And that's the only way any of us can be justified. None of us can be deemed righteous by our own merits. But see, this is where we get into the problem. So we're, we're talking about humility. And when we are humble, we have to trust God with our salvation. Trust God with our life. And we t the Bible talks about humility a lot. But another way we can learn about a certain concept, if you will, or, or about something that we're talking about is what does the Bible say about its complete opposite? In other words, what does the Bible say about pride? Because that's, we, he, Jesus could have told this parable about pride. It just reversed everything, right? Because we have one person that is proudful about all he has done, all of his accomplishments, all of his position and power. And we have one person that doesn't even look at himself. You see, that's what humility is. Sometimes we think humility is thinking less of ourselves. Like, in the sense that I'm no good, I'm not. But, I mean, that's true to a point. But humility really is thinking, not thinking about ourselves. Right? The two greatest commandments are to love God outward with all my heart, mind, and soul, and to love others as much as myself. You know what the world's two greatest commandments are? To love myself with all my heart, mind, and soul, and to love others less than me. That's the world's two greatest commandments. And pride, Scripture tells us, if you read the totality of Scriptures on pride, it tells us it is a poison. That pride is a poison that creeps into our souls, into our psyches, into our egos. You know, I, I'm a human, even though I'm a pastor and, and I make mistakes and I backslide sometimes, I do that sometimes. But you know what? I never backslide when things are rough. I think that's a sign of growth. When things are rough, it pushes me towards God. I go to scripture, I go, man, when I failed, or, or we have snowpocalypse, or we have a pandemic, I go to God. When, I, when it's, things are rough, I go to God. You know when I fall, backslide, stumble? When things are going really good. It's like, man, I got this. 
I got all this. I, I'm, I'm, I've become this Pharisee. I'm, I did this. I did this. I'm a good dad. I'm a good husband. I preach. Like a, well, man, I'm, I know it's coming. Well, I usually don't know it's coming until it's happened. But it never happens when I'm struggling because I know enough to run to God. And you know what? That's not me. That's human nature. Look at the Old Testament. Jesus, I mean, God was trying to have a relation. He created humanity to have a relationship with them. He chose, I noticed one thing when I watch myself back. When I get excited, I don't finish my sentences. I just jump to the next one. So you all have to keep up sometimes. Just, if I jump to the next one too early, just know, yeah, he meant to say that there. But that's the old story of his chosen people. He makes covenant after covenant. They say, yes, we want you to be our God, and we want to be your people, and oh, yes. And then things, and he blesses them. And time goes on, and they forget. In Deuteronomy, when they're getting ready to go into the promised land, he tells them, now, when you get in there, in Deuteronomy, is just one big don't forget, right? That's, that's what all Deuteronomy is. He says, tells them specifically, when you get in there, don't start thinking, look at all we did. And they get in there, and immediately, what do they do? Look at all that we did, and they forget. And that story is played out over and over and over again. So when we talk about humility, we have to talk about pride. Because that's the two contrasts in our story. One prideful about all that he has done and who he is. And one, humble. See, one is comparing himself to other people. We can always find somebody we're, that we're doing better than. Right? That's, and so somebody can always be better than us. When we're caring, comparing ourselves to others, it's going to fluctuate. We're going to feel real good one day. Because whoever we're comparing ourselves with, we feel superior. Other day, we're going to feel not so good. It's going to fluctuate because it's humans. When we put, compare ourselves to the perfection and the holiness of God, we're always going to be down here. It's always humble. We have to fight pride. One of my, I, you'll hear me say this because I use it in all kinds of situations. One of my favorite quotes, and I probably set it up here already, is from um, Screw Tape Letters, and C.S. Lewis um, wrote this kind of fictional thing with good theology in there, but it's about the, the little demons trying to keep people from Christ and destroy their lives and cause conflict and all this good stuff, and one of them comes to his management demon, says, I'm losing my guy. He's starting to go to church. I'm losing him in his advice from his management demon. And these are my words. That's not how C.S. Lewis, he, he puts it a lot better. Um, he says, let him go. He says, let him go. This is the whole thing we're trying to prevent. What do you mean let him go? Let him go for a while and we'll get him on pride. Right? So we have to be very careful. No matter how good, I'm a lot better than I used to be as a young teenager, an early 20s college kid. Man, I'm a lot better. And I could live on that and go with that 
But when I compare myself to the holiness of God, I still got a long ways to go. We always have to look towards God. Because it is only if we stay humble will we continue to grow. We, we were at home. I was up in Fort Worth this weekend, and my grandkids came over, and, and we made some cookies. And they were ready. Are they done yet? Are they done yet? And I'd pull them out, and I said, they're not done yet. And we'd put them back in. And did that about three times. They're not done yet. I got news for you. I'm not done yet. Right? And if we think, oh, yeah, they're done. I, they're, they're done. Bring them out. They're going to be not good as they could be. And we make a mistake as Christians just because we're better than we used to be. They're thinking we're done. That's pride. None of us are done yet. And we always have to realize God will bring us and he'll give us a few moments to celebrate. This is what I learned because I had a long way to go when I was in my early 20s. And I would, I would struggle with something. I, God would deliver me from it, whether it be an attitude or whatever. And then he'd let me rest and celebrate a while and said, okay, let's work on the next thing. And in this life, there's always going to be a next thing. But the problem is, if we don't have humility, if we are full of pride, we're not going to see it. See, what pride does, it distorts our trust in God. Because we begin to think, if it's all about me, and I can do this, I don't need to trust in God. What was the story of the original sin? Right? God said this for your own good. And the tempter came and said, surely not. Right? His whole point, he didn't care about them eating the apple. His whole point was get them to not trust God. To choose their will over God's will. And so when we are prideful, to think we can handle uh, the difference between good and evil or that we're finished product and we become prideful about that, then we stop trusting what God says. And God says, Jim, you've come a long way, but you're not done yet. And it also distorts the truth. Right? A lot of us come to Christ... A lot of churches, you see it over and over in all different kinds of areas. We come because we're in, we understand, I am a sinner. We, are, we, we start out, this is what we have to be worried about. We start out as the tax collector. I am a sinner. Can't even look up. I am a sinner. God have mercy on me. We start off as a tax collector, and then we begin to grow, and God begins to heal us and sanctify us, and we become a better version of ourselves. And we start thinking, and we just start keep looking back and say, man, I am so much better than I was. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And then we just keep going, and man, I got to stay in the camera frame. Uh, man. Oh, look at all that I have done. I am so much better than that guy. Right? It sneaks up on us. Churches, oftentimes you'll see uh, churches, a scandal in a church. I know some of the stories, but in, in major churches, some of the stories, they started out right. 
And they were where they needed to be, but they got too big and too full of themselves. And they thought it was all about them. And no longer do people need to look to God. You need to look to this church or this pastor. So we have to be careful because our pride distorts our trust and it distorts our, the truth. Humility is a fundamental fact of if we're going to follow Christ, we, have, we come in humility, but we also continue in humility. I mean, just go back. Abraham humbled himself and believed God. Paul writes about it in Romans. He humbled himself God came and said, in your old age, you're going to be a father of many nations. And he told them this outlandish thing, and Abraham believed him. He didn't say, now listen, by my calculations, my age, and this is outrageous. And Paul goes on in Romans and says, why was Abraham considered righteous? Why was righteousness accredited to him? Not because the law wasn't there yet. Not because circumcision, he hadn't been circumcised. Not because any of that. Because Genesis 15, 6, he believed what God told him. And so he was accredited as righteous. And in order to have that type of faith, we have to be humble. And say, I can't do this on my own. David. David was confident at the beginning when he was a young man. He's, he's a perfect illustration of that story. He came out, he came out and said, I don't need all this stuff because it's not me fighting, it's the Lord. It's God. So he was humble. But he's that story where God blessed him. He started with the right heart, and so he continued to grow in stature and power. And he got to the point where he was wayward. He broke every commandment there was. Because he became prideful. He lost his humility. But he didn't lose it completely because when Nathan called him out about Bersheba and about his murder, about his adultery, about all that he did, he could have easily in his prideful state said, I don't have to listen to you. Take him away. But what made him a righteous man of God, when called out about his sin, in humility... He said, what have I done? And you hear it in Psalm 38 and Psalm 51. He pours out his heart. God, I have sinned against you and against you alone. Wash me of my inequities. Cleanse me of my sin. Tax collector, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what David says. He might have said it more eloquently, but that's what he said. Because at the heart of it, that is the humility that brings us to Christ. I said at the beginning, humility is the state of our heart that allows us to be justified. That's the point of what Jesus is saying. I can't save myself. I can't do it. You can't save yourself. You can do some self-improvement, but you're never going to be righteous enough. We can't save ourselves. We have to be humble. That through faith we accept the righteousness, the gift of grace we have received in Christ. But, but in order to do that, we have to admit our need. Most people today that don't be, believe in Christ or have not come to salvation, it's about pride. They don't think they need it. 
And we're in a time where people are realizing they're not in control. We've had a lot of events this year that tells us we're not in control. And when that happens, people become a little more humble. So this is a plug that as the world gets crazier and becomes more obvious it's fallen, our task as Christians in the body of Christ becomes more clear. We have to be there and say, hey, there's something else. Because they might be, in their humility, they might be willing to receive this. So, but it's not just about humility and our justification at the beginning. We've already said that happens a lot of times and then we can become prideful. But it's also in sanctification. We have to realize we're not done yet. God's still working on it. God might have accomplished this, this, and this, but he's got more to do. We got to continually give ourselves over in humility, walk humbly before our God and realize it is not I, but it is God. I have been deemed, you have been deemed not guilty of your sin, even though you are. You have been deemed righteous before the very presence of God, even though you're not. Because it is not our righteousness, it is not our goodness, but it is the righteousness and the faithfulness of Christ. If we're in Christ, what God sees. But we have to admit our needs. In a lot of 12-step groups, they say, first step, submitting it. And then continue. And then when they fall, it's because they lost. So the question for us today is, are you confident in your own righteousness? We have an epidemic, I've said before, maybe another pandemic in our world today, and it is self-righteousness. And you see the, the contempt and the judgment and the division and the hate that that breeds. When you walk in humility, that breeds grace and mercy, forgiveness and love. I shared with you a while ago a Jesus prayer that is used often in the Eastern Orthodox tradition. It says, they say it over and over in meditations and throughout the day and over and over. And it's, uh, Lord, Lord, Lord God, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. As I read the scripture and read the prayer of the tax collector, I said, that's the Jesus prayer. So as we come to communion, if you have your elements at home, if you have those before you, let us begin with the simple and pure and powerful Jesus prayer. Lord God, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me.